Welcome to the Brand and Associates podcast, where we have intellectually stimulating conversations about hot topics in the insurance industry, which will provide you a perspective you won't see anywhere else. And today we're joined by uh, Chris Brand and, and Mark Fidel, again, to talk a little bit more about cyber insurance. And I'll Paul Borup, I'll be your host today. And with that, we'll get started. We have two questions. The first one deals with what will the New York State Department of Financial Services guidelines mean for the insurance industry? They've just uh, come out with some new guidelines that should start to disrupt a few things. Chris, what do you see in, in that respect? Well, it's, it's pretty interesting because it really piggybacks the uh, federal government's OFAC, Office of Foreign Assets Control uh, guidance basically saying, we don't want insurance companies paying ransomware. You get hit with a ransom attack, we don't want the ransom paid. That becomes a, that's a problem because that's a huge part of what a cyber policy is supposed to do. It's supposed to pay ransomware. But if you have these big important government regulators saying, nah, don't pay, um, we, have a, we have a problem in the industry. Do we now have policies that we've sold that are null and void if we start following the regular regulator's advice? Are we going to have clients that are, are really mad because they thought they had ransomware and now because the regulators say don't pay, they don't have ransomware? Are we going to have to distinguish somehow or another if the, if the bad guys are within the United States or foreign? and say, okay, well, they're in the United States, we can pay, but if they're foreign, we can't pay. There's some real distinctions that the guidance doesn't really, doesn't get to the nitty gritty of it. I haven't seen anything from the insurance companies yet addressing how they're going to do it. And for everyone listening that says, I'm not in New York, so it doesn't matter. Understand that all insurance goes through New York one way or the other. Therefore, everybody is affected by the New York uh, Department of Financial Services uh, regulatory guidance, period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And, and as I was reading... Go, sorry, oh, Paul, let me ask Chris a quick question on that. And uh, I apologize. So Chris, could the rationale be because um, an insurable risk takes into some... Right, there, there's statistics involved. There's, it may not happen or it may not happen at a certain time, right? Or we know life insurance, right? Somebody's gonna die, but we, we know when, so we'll be able to cover the cost of premiums, et cetera. There's a thinking here that if you have ransomware, the foregone conclusion is there's ransom and therefore it's not an insurable cost. You know, I don't, from an insurance company perspective, the bigger issue is, is that the rise in claims is so significant and it's happening so fast. And <clears throat> the other aspect of it that I keep hearing about has a legitimacy to it is that the insurance companies are really concerned that it's a kind of catastrophe that is not insurable in the sense that if a main, like in insurance agency terms, if one of the two main insurance agency management systems were hit, causing a, a claim that then spread out, rippled out for 10,000 agencies each 
and they all had a ransomware claim related to that one ransomware attack, could the, would there be enough money at the insurance company level to pay it all? There's some real concern, real big concern about that for certain kinds of systems. That, that goes to my longstanding belief of underfunded cyber policies in general. Well, that's one of the concerns that the New York Department of Financial Services actually expresses in the in um, some of the background information they've provided, okay. which was kind of interesting because of all the years I've been doing this, I've never seen a Department of Insurance, Financial Services, express a concern um, quite like that. Um, they one of the edicts that they put out there is is that all insurance companies must uh, measure their insured risk and identify what they have truly insured versus what they on paper have insured. The, all companies must go through a vulnerability uh, testing. All companies must identify how much cyber exposure exists on all of their errors and emissions, professional liability, burglary, theft, general liability and product liability lines, not just the cyber policies that the carriers have sold. The, every insurance company must identify the, the cyber risk in those other lines as well. So with that, then this is more of an insurance company thing. So if you're an agency uh, somewhere else in the United States, and you're saying, hey, I don't really write business in New York. I'm not domiciled in New York. Heck, I'm not even licensed in New York, so I don't need to worry about this. It, it impacts you because almost all the carriers you're going to be dealing with, except for some really small regionals that probably don't have much in the way of, of cyber coverage, they're going to be responding to the regulators there in New York. And that's how it's going to land on your doorstep and why it's important to at least be aware of what's going on. It's one of the ways in which it's going to land on your doorstep for sure. Absolutely. It's going to be bigger than that, but it will land there. Okay. So this is any advice that you'd have um, or, or what should agencies be looking at right now as far as, as how this is going to unfold? Because it's a pretty new, new thing. Yeah, it's a pretty new thing. So a few things is that number one is, is that there's actually an education requirement in the New York Department of Insurance uh, ruling. And uh, it's, there's a little bit of a gray area as to who is responsible for doing the education, but there's a ruling that <clears throat> insureds and agents must be educated about the value, um, need for benefits and limitations of cyber insurance. So again, this piggybacks the federal ruling. So we, could look at it as a, a New York deal, but it's also federal. OFAC was pretty clear what they um, issued in December. It was really clear, I thought. So I think everybody's affected by this. And I think one of the keys is understanding what it is that you're selling. I think that's just crucial and understanding how to explain that to insureds. And then not telling the E&O issue, Paul, is very simple. I think there's a massive E&O exposure right now saying to insurers, buy this cyber policy and you get ransomware coverage. I don't know 
on a go forward basis, if the regulators have go the route they're going, that that's going to be true. I think agents. So maybe they to, should say may versus shall. Yeah, may versus shall. Interesting. And, All right. And, and it would be great. That's a probably a pretty good segue for for the next uh, next question we have. Um, because we want to talk about the recent solar winds breach. And if there's may versus shall, you could have ransomware coverage if the person that or the entity that was responsible for that ransomware wasn't on the, uh, the OFAC naughty list, so to speak, right? It wasn't a, a, a government, government actor. Um, but how, how often do you get one that isn't coming out of Russia or North Korea or some of those, those other uh, countries? And Mark, since we're, we're kind of going to talk about the, the solar winds, what are you seeing there as far as ransomware that originates not on that, not on that list where there would be coverage? So let me address one of the items that you mentioned, uh, you know, nation state actors. And um, it's a widespread belief and, and a lot of facts leading to um, the, the issue that North Korea has funded a variety of its economic ventures, including nuclear proliferation via ransomware attacks, um, either directly or through proxies. And so they've been isolated economically from most nations, except I would imagine special programs from Russia or China, but largely they've been isolated economically. Um, and so ransomware attacks are a uh, relatively low cost way to bring funding in. Um, and, and, and again, it's, uh, it tends to be a matter of if versus when versus if you're going to be a victim of a ransomware attack, right? Now, are these preventable? They are, and that's a, that's a different lecture series. But um, in terms of insurability, you know, it, it now tends to be more like life insurance and you should have actuarial tables uh, indicating when the attack will happen versus, um, Gosh, I, I, I when, will a fire happen in my building location, right? That's not a foregone conclusion that a commercial building is going to catch on fire, but you still have property insurance in the event it does, right? Life insurance, assuming premiums are paid, uh, it will pay, right? Because the person's going to die. The question for the life insurance company is when, and that's you know the spread between. Uh, Premiums collected and when the payout happens is how they make their margins. Um, should the same perspective be taken with not just ransomware, but cyber policies in general, right? And I'm certainly nowhere near smart enough to, to do the math involved to, uh, to come up with the right actuarial tables for that. But the solar winds attack, if I can digress into that question, you know, there's there. It, it, not necessarily was a ransomware end result, but it could result in ransomware being delivered more efficiently. So what happened is a company called SolarWinds, which has roughly 30,000 customers worldwide, a lot in government entities, uh, as well as private companies, commercial entities, but a fair amount in, in commercial. The servers that 
are used to push out solar updates to the solar wind to certain solar winds products were compromised. The ability, the malware was then put into a particular set of updates. And this is in March of 2020, April of 2020. When these updates were pushed to about 18,000 of SolarWinds customers, the malware went along with it because the update was a trusted update. And so the package that was being delivered was trusted. The contents were malicious. And so it came in uh, as, as, a, as a, this is, this is part of a normal update from SolarWinds. And it wasn't an out of order update. It wasn't something that, gosh, SolarWinds didn't know they were pushing up it. SolarWinds knew they were pushing the update, and, and, uh, but they didn't know it was compromised. One of SolarWinds customers, a company called FireEye, realized that they had been attacked from inside. And when they reverse engineered the attack, they realized that the delivery mechanism was a SolarWinds update. And that's when it was publicly released about the, uh, uh, the methodologies. So right now we don't know what we don't know. Was this the only supply chain attack um, that, well, at least it's been publicized, but are there others likely, right? And that's the problem. And so if you have Department of Defense who has prime contractors and then those contractors have subs and there are layers, right? You have this supply chain of information as well as in the physical world, you also have supply chain of information in the electronic world. And now you have potentially compromised the supply chain in various aspects, okay? And so that was why this particular attack has been so particularly devastating is, is because of how they got in and, 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 how, and the efforts. I was reading a Microsoft uh, report on, on this and, and if, they had, if Microsoft had done the work to engineer this in the amount of time they think it took place, they would have devoted about a thousand software engineers to the effort. Wow. So that's, uh, that's not a small, Right. It, it's not a, a weekend uh, effort by somebody. Right. Just uh, fooling around. This is very targeted, very directed, uh, very uh, on the very much on the offensive. Uh, now to say is, is does the U.S. do the same thing? I, not publicized, but sure, we'll, we'll say that that happens. Right. This we're, we're very much in a in a cyber warfare stance and just take the cyber off from it. And you have we're in a war. That's helpful to the to the questioner. Yeah, so you know, I add something on to it just for all the agents listening. What what uh, Mark Fidel's brought up here shows some of the ancillary effects from an insurance perspective that um, would be very beneficial to clients. One is what's the business interruption effect of a cyber attack? Because I would argue that the business interruption effect of a cyber attack is more important than the ransom part, nine out of 10 times. So we need to make sure the policies we're selling have great business interruption coverage. Second, how does a, an attack on a third party disrupt the supply chain? And from that perspective, agents would, be, uh, would greatly benefit their clients understanding how to sell business income and supply chain insurance for scenarios like this. It's not a direct cyber attack, but the cause is still cyber 
and we have other kinds of insurance that can respond in certain circumstances. I think you'd also want to make sure that they are complementary coverages and not conflicting coverages or that there's no gap between them um, to, to make sure, sure it's not just through one lens, but how am I protecting this, this client uh, multi coverage, right? Um, because when you're talking a cyber attack, you can, you can damage physical facilities, mm -hmm. right? And so you, you can certainly cause business interruption. Uh, you can certainly have financial impacts, which are actually, right, addressed by other policies or can be. Can be. You not also always. don't, you, you, not always, but but it can be. But you, you also don't want to exclude that coverage simply because it is cyber. Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> but you, but, so. but the, those forms are separate forms that have to be added on by and large. The supply chain interruption is a really, you know, specialized form that most agents have honestly never seen. Okay. Um, so it's an add-on coverage and then your the variety of business income coverage. But your point about how it can damage physical assets. So there was the big example up in one of the Scandinavian countries where an aluminum plant was attacked and the aluminum went back to the solid state in the wrong place. So it was like, yeah, molten aluminum that suddenly became solid aluminum in the wrong place. Or recently down in Florida, you had the cyber attack that um, pushed chemicals into the water supply, the municipal water supply. And without the right preventative measures, people could have died. And I read recently about, you know, the very first death caused by, in a hospital, caused by a cyber attack. Really? Yeah. Uh, so we have un, the unfortunate reality that that has now happened. Sure. So these, the physical aspects of, of these cyber attacks are a whole nother ballgame and they're becoming more real every day. Totally more real. Well, I don't know what age uh, age of vehicles either of you are driving, but <laughs> right, sure. uh, a variety of interconnected systems, um, you know, that can be as as uh, annoying as gosh, my my satellite radio is, is fritzing out. To wait, why didn't the brakes work again? <laughs> you know, and it just uh -huh. it varies on the scale of how important this thing is, right? Um, and so, and the ability to remotely control vehicles uh, because of their inter interconnectedness has been proven. Um, and because you're selling so many vehicles there, you have to bring uh, the ability to connect from a, a legitimate perspective with key fobs down to a low, lowest common denominator. Well, that then makes it easy to defeat those things to a lowest common denominator right? Relatively inexpensively. There's been a number of vehicles here in my community uh, where the, 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 it's a relatively inexpensive device to capture the data uh, when somebody is unlocking or remotely starting their vehicle, capturing that data and then copying it, saving it, and then later on opening the vehicle with the captured data. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it, it, it's not, it's not, you know, a risk reward, it's not very expensive. Again, it's asymmetric. It doesn't take, uh, it doesn't take a $350 key fob. It probably takes uh, 75 bucks worth of equipment. 
Wow. And where can you find out about this? On the internet, Chris and Paul, you know, go to the internet and find out how to steal cards in your community. <laughs> so, sorry, Paul, let's get off track a little bit. You're going to have some editing challenges here, I think. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's a great discussion. And, and as I was thinking through this, some of the objections that a client possibly would give you is, hey, I'm, I'm too small. Um, nobody's going to be targeting me. Maybe, maybe I'm not worried about ransomware, but looking at this solar winds thing a little bit differently in the supply chain and some of the cataclysmic events that could happen, right? There could be so many people affected. And instead of just say depositing some malware to uh, get your customer data, maybe they shut you, shut your system down. And that gets to that business interruption piece that you'd have. And then you'd have then you'd have the expense of having to notify your clients or or in the case of that aluminum plant, some some really big issues and you weren't ever really the target. And so I think that's that's a way to to talk to your clients about it. Maybe maybe it is they're just targeting your fleet of vehicles to try to break in with those those quick key fobs. But your supply chain, Mark, to your point, I think everybody at this point is vulnerable and when those big events happen, they're not really targeting you. These actors right, right. are more going after the disruption, the power, um, some of that influence that they, some nefarious influence they could have when you're talking about, you know, warfare slash terrorism. We've seen it in the physical world, but they're really trying to push it in that uh, um, cyber world at this point. Well, then not, we discussed this briefly in the last podcast, but the, uh, the um, uh, not Petya attack that uh, affected, uh, amongst other things, the Maersk shipping line, that was a nation state to nation state attack that got loose, right? That was Russia attacking Ukraine's uh, infrastructure and it got loose. And what it did to Maersk, right? It, what it did to the National Health Service uh, hospitals, a few, number of them in, in England, right, is shut things down. And it was not a ransomware attack. The reason it was not Petya is because there was a ransomware called Petya. And this used some of the same coding, but there was never a call for ransom and there was never anybody to call to pay things off. It was simply destructive, meaning locking systems down, encrypting and leaving. It was never intended to, to collect money and uh, very destructive, right, uh, for Gosh, a good 36 hours, Marish had no idea where stuff was other than their last location. And, and, and if you know their network, it's, it's intermodal, right? It's, it's land, it's sea, uh, it's uh, a train. They did not know where ships and containers were once their system was affected. And the stated costs of that recovery were $300 million. And, I, and that's not the supply chain that it affected, right? That's just Maersk itself um, on, on that level. So, so pause to your point, the disruption, right? There's a value in disrupting, right? Your, your either purported or stated enemies or collateral to those, to the, to those enemies. And, um, you know, and unfortunately it's very real I've tried to keep up in the fiction side of the world. And there have, I feel sorry for fiction authors these days, right? <laughs> because, you know, because 
what what am I writing fiction or now am I writing a documentary, right? You know, about how does that go? <laughs> In terms of the, you know, the spy thrillers and the technology thrillers and things like that. Uh, yeah, so. Well, thank you for that, uh, Mark and Chris. I appreciate it. That was very insightful conversation yet again. Um, thank you for taking the time to listen and we look forward to talking to you next time.